Hi, I'm Mac. Hi, I'm Abigail. And this is Unsubs. This is the podcast where we recap, rate, and review all 324 episodes of Criminal Minds. And today we're talking season two, episode eight, Empty Planet, which initially I was like, oh God, it's a bomber. I hate it, but I had fun. Mm-hmm. I'm a, I mean, there's no daddy saying in this episode. No. Also, Abby and I are such low energy today. We'll see if we get through it. <laughs> well, well, we're trying to. I'm trying to vibe up. Oh, yes. Um, so I guess we should share our facts of the day. Do you have a fact of the day? Um. Do you want to hear my fact of the day? Yeah. Uh, it's so hot right now and I can't have my air conditioner on. For some reason, Abby can hear it. So I was nervous that you, gentle listener, could hear it. So I may or may not be wearing a shirt right now while I'm recording. Uh, it's actually cold here today. That's my fun fact. I'm wearing a hoodie. Oh my god. I am shirtless, braless, just fully out here with my tits to the wind, and you are wearing a sweater. Titties out for criminal minds. Titties out for criminal minds. Do you see what I what I do to myself for you guys? The pressure. <laughs> the, the pressure. Um, anyways. <laughs> um A quick disclaimer, we are not in any way associated with the television show Criminal Minds. We're just fans. Um, But we we sure would like to be associated. Um, Make us legit. Make us fucking legit. Come on the podcast. We know you want to. Um, Abby, would you like to share our rating criteria? Yes. So each episode has the potential to score up to 100 points. Um, and those uh, points are distributed with five different categories, being the criminal slash serial killer, uh, the character development and character arcs for the main cast, the forensics and context, the script writing, and the background characters. Should we get started? Yes. Okay. So, Season 2, Episode 8, Empty Planet. Oh, I actually, um, I came in pretty hot with this scene. I I have a starting with like a little, um, a little scene that we're gonna read. I almost had a role play. I was like, uh, a little uh, role play. Mm. Uh, I am topless. So stop. <laughs> okay, just while you're listening to this episode, just know that I am topless. <laughs> I don't know if I'm gonna keep this in, but I'm, I'm just gonna go with it. Um, every time I mention that I'm topless, take a shot. Let's unless let's you're driving. That. Unless you're driving, just picture while this conversation is occurring that you're watching the unsub make a bomb, and while he makes the bomb, he calls the national news network. Perfect. Who do you want to be, Abby? I'll be the operator. Okay, I'll be the unsub. All right. National news network. How may I direct your call? There's going to be an explosion this morning. Excuse me? I said there will be an explosion this morning. A bomb. 
I'm sorry. Did you say a bomb, sir? Sir? On a bus in the city where it all began. Get my message out. Message? What message? That this is only the beginning. Until it is brought back under control, people will die. So yes, yes, I just happened to get, Abby and I are trading off episodes, I just happened to get another fucking bomb episode. While Abby gets these fucking awesome episodes, and y'all know that bombs are my favorite, my favorite episodes. We cut to a bus in the city where it all began. Um, and the unsub boards the bus. And we cut to JJ running around in Quantico. She tells Hotch that the Department of Homeland Security has just phoned in a bomb threat to an unspecified urban area. Homeland Security wants a threat assessment from the BAU. The BAU listens to the recording of the Unsub's phone call to the National News Network, you know, like the most popular network ever. JJ tells the team that the Unsub has called other news networks coast to coast to report this same threat. But obviously, he starts with the number one news network in America, the National News Network. <laughs> Wetwork. The National News Network, or NNN. Nini. Nini. Mammon. Mimin? The unsub does not use a pre-recorded message when he calls these networks. He just improvs it. Both this and his choice to call every network displays a measure of confidence as well as a need for attention. Gideon identifies the bomber as a, quote, personal cause bomber. The BAU makes the call to not allow the news organizations to run the story, as JJ says, quote, Threats with an unspecified location will cause tremendous panic. So we cut back to the bus. The bomber slash unsub looking sleek in a suit. He leaves his suitcase, which is concealing the bomb, on the bus and he exits the bus and then blows up the bus. So the BAU travels to Seattle, where apparently everything began. <laughs> Morgan says, quote, we just need to figure out what it is. And off the top of my head, I can think of grunge music and overpriced coffee. The team meets special agent Nick Casey, who is head of the Seattle task force. He tells the BAU that the bomb was a small pipe bomb attached to an umbrella. The unsub detonated the bomb using a small remote, lots of small things, but you will also hear that he's of small stature. Although there were 25 people on the bus, including the driver, only two were killed. The driver and a young male who picked up the bomb and brought it to the driver because it, it looked like a suitcase. Morgan, of course, reminds us that he has bomb squad experience. And also Hotch is pretty rude to Nick Casey and is like, quote, did you guys get their positions? Meaning the passengers. And Nick Casey is like, what? JJ. What? what? <laughs> He's what? like, what? <laughs> what is, what do you mean their positions? I just like grunge music and overpriced coffee. Please leave me alone. JJ does hold a press conference, hoping to get the unsub to contact them. She's like, we don't know if it was a bomb or a mechanical failure, <laughs> hoping to piss the unsub off. 
Morgan and Reed examine the bomb fragments. Everything is really rudimentary. Um, also, we get to say Morgan say boom. Remember, <laughs> remember in boom. episode three when it was like boom, 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 boom. <laughs> I forgot that I miss, mixed up compulsion with um, what? The, friend? No. What? Yes. Never get caught again or whatever. Never get fooled again. Yeah. Never get fooled. Fool me. Fool me again. And you're <laughs> never you'll never fool me. <laughs> Am I fooled? Am I gonna get fooled? <laughs> no need to Don't fool. Don't you fool me. Don't fool fool me three times and I'll never fool get me fooled once. again. I think we're funny. I hope everyone else thinks we're funny. <laughs> I don't know about that. Sometimes if I listen back to like, like I, I'm trying to listen to once I record the episodes to like let it, or once we, once I edit the episodes to like let them sit. And then like four weeks later when they're about to drop, I listen. And sometimes I'm like, hoo, 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 as I'm listening. Um, anyways, we meet a bomb tech named Cassandra Atkins. She's pretty. I don't think I found anyone sexy in this episode, so go off queen. Um, she's also smart and talented, got a high-ranking position in the bomb squad, and she says that they can call her Cassie, but I won't. I'm going to say Cassandra. Um, she helps the BAU find the unsub signature on the bomb, which is a robot with an arrow in it. Um, this means that the unsub is anti-technology. We learn about <laughs> we learn about FFT freedom from technology a group that is you guessed it anti-technology there have been a few isolated attacks one at Seattle University but this robot arrow thing seems to be the group's calling card um, so we do have the profile of this bomber, but I, I, I want to hold criminal minds accountable whenever they bring up like unsubs that are repeat types. So I thought we could start by like looking at the episode three, fool me and you'll never fool me three times. <laughs> uh, look at their bomber profile before we look at the profile that we are given today. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that's cool. Should, should, should I jump in? Yeah. All right. So this was the profile from episode three, Fool Me Once I Am Fooled, Don't Be Fool, and that one, which was mostly male, loners, history of criminal activity, 50% and 50% of bombings are products of vandalism. Bombers often end up blowing themselves up as well. And then... This is the profile that we get today, right? Yeah. Personal cause bombers, yeah. There are different types of bombers. Those types are criminal, group cause, psychologically disorganized, and personal cause bombers. Personal cause bombers are motivated by an underlying emotional conflict. Uh... So our unsub here we have deduced is a Seattle resident, lives alone, is possibly self-employed, highly organized and meticulous, 
And although he escalated to a lethal bombing today, it may not necessarily be the bomber's intention to cause injury or to kill. Possibly fear is the larger motive. Um, it seems He would seem odd to those who know him, angry, distant, and prone to a violent rage. To quote Hotch, he, he says, This is not the kind of guy whose neighbors will be surprised to find out what he was arrested for. Shit, you that's, guys. That's, ooh, I don't like that. So after JJ's being like, oh, I think it was a mechanical failure, you guys. It totally wasn't a bomb. The unsub calls the tip line to talk to Gideon specifically. He's upset that the news did not report the fft uh, as being responsible for the bombs. The unsub identifies himself as Allegro. It's so pretentious. Gideon attempts to get Allegro to meet him somewhere, but Allegro blows up a gas station instead. Uh, (laughs) No casualties, though. So currently I am team Allegro. So the BAU finds the manifesto inside the gas station. Um, The demand is that all machines that have replaced workers be stopped within a week. I, too, would leave my manifesto in a gas station. (laughs) Man, look at this manifesto I picked up at the gas station, along with my Wawa mac and cheese. When Gideon mentions Allegro's name, or should we say his chosen name, Reed realizes that the unsub has named himself after a character in a book by one... (laughs) This episode just goes off the rails so fast. (laughs) Reed realizes that the unsub has named himself after a character in a book by, quote, one hit wonder author, David Hansberry. Again, he said it. I didn't. No shade. The book is called Empty Planet. And I said, girl, that's the name of the episode. There it is. (laughs) What? Um, In the book, 12-year-old hero Allegro leads a human army against robots that have sex. Uh, Dr. Emery Cook is apparently some sort of tech guy who was on the bus, and the BAU believe that he may have been the target of the fifth. However, Mr. Cook declines, or I should say Dr. Cook, declines a protective detail, quote, Do I seem like the sort who wants to be followed around by a government goon squad? But the BAU gives him a detail anyways, because I guess when you're the FBI, you could be like, fuck what private citizens want. (laughs) But it's too bad because Dr. Cook is blown up like immediately after he meets with the FBI and they don't have time to put the protective squad on him. So he's blown up by a car bomb. We learned that Ursula Kent is actually one-hit wonder author David Hansbury, and Ursula Kent works at Seattle University, and I said criminal mindset feminism, because you think she's a guy, but then she's really a woman. Um, the unsub calls Gideon and is like, LOL, Dr. Cook had it coming. Uh, he tell Allegro tells Gideon that he, ha- he wants his manifesto printed in the Seattle ledger tonight. Gideon and Reed meet with Ursula Kent, and she's like, WTF? Also, Dr. Cook was my friend and a guest lecturer in my class. 
She also has a necklace with a Fifita's insignia insignia. So like it's it's very like everything's coming together. Everything's coming up Ursula Kent. Uh, Reed and Gideon realize that the unsub is likely one of her students who was obsessed with her and with the book Empty Planet and is treating the book like a prophecy. Meanwhile, Cassandra McBomb squad, Morgan, Hotch, and Special Agent Casey are going on a scavenger hunt to disarm bombs. Bombs are placed at a water treatment plant, a post office, a social security office, and the public library. Why we got to bring the public library into this, I don't know, but there she is. Back to Gideon and Reed and Ursula, and Gideon makes Ursula read the manifesto to see if she recognizes the writing as one of her students. But instead of reading it, she just sits there and watches Reed read. And he's just zooming down the pages of her her book, Empty Planet, because he's a fast reader. Because he's a genius. Yeah, because he's so he's so smart. So um, smart. So smart. Uh Gideon believes that the next target is Dr. Betsy Brazier because she's the only other guest lecturer that Professor Kent has. Cassandra McBomb squad, Morgan Hotch, and Special Agent Casey get to Dr. Brazier in time, get her to stop the car that she's driving in, um, and they attempt to disarm the bomb. And it is a super suspenseful moment. And I think this is when you texted me that Morgan is so hot. Yes. Yeah. He's like, I won't leave her. I won't leave her. (laughs) And she's like, thank you. Um, So Morgan has decided to stay with Dr. Brazier while Cassandra disarms the bomb. He is risking his life because he does not want Dr. Brazier to die alone, even though she was being like pretty rude to like her assistant when we first met her. Um, Also, I said, what about Clooney? (laughs) <laughs> what about Clooney, Morgan? What about die, Clooney? Who's going to take care of Clooney? Um, so Cassandra disarms the bomb. Uh, girl power. Yay. But the BAU blows up Dr. Brazier's car anyways, because they want the bomber to believe that he was successful. Back with Gideon and Reed, Professor Kent is kind of being a butt about the whole thing. She insists that she does not recognize the writing, but she does say that passages of the Fufita's manifesto were blatantly plagiarized from her book. After Reed and Gideon leave, Professor Kent reveals that she does know who the unsub is. She calls her TA and is like, can you pull the file and thesis paper of a student from last year named Kenneth Roberts? Kenneth Roberts is the unsub. Bum, bum, bum. So Reed writes out the plot of Empty Planet. Apparently at the end, Allegro kills his birth mother. This book sounds wild. <laughs> this kind of, this has the, the, like the kind of book that your boyfriend would get really into. He would, yeah, he would know it. So apparently Allegra was adopted and the act of finding and killing his birth mother is seen as like an act of redemption. I'm like, whoa there, what? But then they're like, it's told from the mother's perspective. And yeah. you're like, um. um. So Kenneth Brown believes, and we don't know if this is verified or not, but he right. believes- that Professor Kent is his mother and that she gave him up for adoption and then wrote Empty Planet as like a manifesto 
to explain how he was supposed to live his life. He shows up at her office to complete the prophecy. Um, and apparently Kenneth Brown, Kenneth says that he found an article where Professor Kent said that she had a baby that she gave up for adoption and that the baby was the inspiration for Empty Planet. Professor Kent tells Kenneth that she gave up a baby girl for adoption, not a boy. And it's very dramatic. Somehow they're in like the, this lecture hall now and it's like up on this stage and the BAU shows up. Um, and they're like, Kenneth, put her, let her go because he's got like a, a gun or a knife to her head. I didn't write down. It's a what. gun. Yeah, he's got a gun to her head. Professor Kent, while there's a standoff, sees that there's like a sniper point on Kenneth. And she sees that the sniper's going to kill Kenneth and she takes the bullet for him. So the BAU arrests Kenneth and Professor Kent is going to be okay. I guess. So was she his mother? Who is to say? Who's to say? Who's to know if they they done fooled us? Did they fool us <laughs> again? Twice. Wait, what's the actual title? Won't get fooled again. Okay, all right. We we got close to that. So I I don't know. I like to think that she was actually his mother, but I don't know. Yeah, because she was like, I had a baby girl. It wasn't you. I had a baby girl. Then it's like, oh, shit, someone's going to die. Yeah. But then she, like, saves his life. Maybe she just didn't want to see one of her students die. I don't know. I just felt like the whole thing was crazy. Well, she also said that she, like, thought he was, like, lost and stuff. The end got very convoluted. Yeah, I know. This episode, it's like, it gets wild, and that's what makes it fun, but the plot is, like, all over the place. Yeah, I feel like you end up with the good episodes, and I end up with the wild ones. And I'm like, this is just the pattern we're falling into. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, there are two, like, real-life comparisons to Kenneth and the... um, And this, uh, and so, as they mentioned in the episode... Um, it's pretty clear that Kenneth was based on Theodore Kaczynski, um, who they mentioned in the episode. And he also has some similarities to Timothy McVeigh. So, Theo, Theodore Kaczynski, is a real ugly dude. Um, but he's known famously as the Unabomber. Um, who so he was a serial bomber, homegrown terrorist, school bomber, and a quote wound collector, which oh. we talked about earlier in this podcast. So, although confession time, although the Unabomber is a really familiar name to me, I didn't actually know like almost virtually anything about the Unabomber before going in on this. For a little background, Kaczynski was the son of a second-generation Polish-American couple. Heyo, same. Um, And he was a child prodigy with mathematics and had an IQ of 167, which is insane. Um, But because of this, he skipped grades and was bullied a lot and didn't feel as though he fit in because he was younger than everyone else in his classes. Um, so at 16, he was accepted into Harvard, and after Harvard, he went to University of Michigan getting a PhD. 
1971, he moved back in with his parents in Lombard, Illinois, before moving to a small remote cabin that he built himself outside of Lombard, Montana. So he was funding himself with like odd jobs and financial support from his family. And Kaczynski studied survival skills such as edible plant identification and tracking and primitive construction. And over time, he grew to realize that this way of life was just not possible due to modern urbanization. So the final straw was when he found that one of his favorite wild spots was being covered with a road. And at this point, he decided to take revenge on the system and began a series of mail bombings, which lasted for almost 20 years. So this came to the FBI's attention in 1978, and they later named the case Unabomb. So for University Airline Bomber. Wait a minute. So like this cabin that he built is so creepy. Oh, is it? I didn't see it. I mean, it's like literally like a tiny cat. Like, look at it really quick. This is so creepy. Oh, I hate that. There's like no wind. That's so. Oh, there's like no windows. It's like, it's very um, midsummer, like, right? Like the style. And then it's got like pictures of the. First of all, it's tiny. There's like one door. There are no windows. Like it, I mean, you can only imagine how it must have smelled. The cabin was a 10 by 12 foot shack where Kaczynski lived for 25 years until his arrest in April 1996. That's the year I was born. Um, The shack had no running water and multiple locks. It was in this shack that he built 16 bombs. Oh my God. So he also wrote a... Uh, over 50 page manifesto titled industrial society and its future which he sent to the media demanding that it be published much like in the episode that we just covered and in some major news journals promising the end to his campaign if the demand was met um it was eventually published as a pamphlet by the new york times in the washington post in september 1995 and now he is currently serving life in prison with no possibility of parole, of parole at a supermax prison in Colorado where he still writes essays. And in 2010, a corrected version of his manifesto and some of his essays were published in a book. Um, and he successfully killed three people with his bombings, but attempted to kill over 90 Wow, those are pretty stunning similarities already with him. And now we're going to get into Timothy James, Tim McVeigh, a.k.a. the Oklahoma City Bomber, which is a little all over the place. But this also has some shocking similarities. So he was a homegrown terrorist, bomber, mass murderer, cop killer, and hacker. Um, born in rural New York, he was the middle child of a very average-sounding family. Um, his grandfather introduced him to hunting and firearms at a very young age. Um, he claims he was bullied, um, and he briefly attended college, but dropped out and began hacking into government computers from his Commodore 64. He was obsessed with the novel 
the Turner Diaries written by William Luther Pierce, um, the then leader of an American white nationalist movement. Um, the book focused on an armed uprising against the U.S. government and followed uh, the by a campaign of ethnic cleansing. But apparently McVeigh um, didn't agree with the book's racial and genocidal ideas. He just liked the like, you know, against the government perspective it had. So he joined the army as a gunner in 1988. And then in 1993, when the Waco siege began, he took a big interest in it. So in 1993, after the Waco siege, uh, McVeigh visited Terry Nichols, a friend from the army, and Terry taught him how to make explosive devices from simple and accessible, like, components and pieces. Um, and they began planning a strike on the U.S. government, intending to attack a federal building, and they ended up choosing the Alfred P. Murrah Federal Building in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. Um, this gets really complicated. There's a way more details in history on this. He ended up, like, having another guy and that guy's wife involved, like, fake IDs, everything. It was, there was a lot, but I didn't want to get too deep into it because there's just so much to unpack with this. Um, and they ended up loading up a truck with improvised, with an improvised bomb in it and parking it in the building's parking area. And at 9.02 a.m., the bomb exploded, completely destroying the building and killing 168 people. And over 800 people were injured. Oh, my gosh. So, and apparently he had, you know, he, he was arrested because all these cops were around and he was, like, speeding down the highway to, like, leave the area. Um, and he was pulled over for speeding. And then that's when they found a gun in his car in the glove compartment. And that's when they were like, oh, you were the guy. Like, this was your doing. Um, but he was prepared to, like, shoot the car himself to get it to, you know, detonate. So he was ready to die for this. Like, he was ready to be a suicide bomber with this. Um, but that didn't happen. And uh, fun fact, on Criminal Minds, his mugshot is one of the mugshots shown in the intro. Oh, him and R Richard Shitface Ramirez. Yeah, and this is episode. This episode is one of seven in which he is referenced or used an inspira as an inspiration for the unsub. Oh my God, I bet you they're all bombers, and I'm gonna get every single one of them. Yeah, this, this is my <laughs> prediction for the future. <laughs> I think it should just be canon that I have to cover the bomber episodes because I hate it so much. Yeah, I think that sounds fair. <laughs> um, what do you think about the criminal slash serial killer? I didn't find him very interesting. What Allegro? <laughs> He's so pretentious. Mommy. It's always mommy issues. I know. Should we give him a 10? Yeah, we can give him a 10. All right. Character development slash character arcs. Well, I loved Morgan's arc in here. I also liked the part when Morgan's, like, risking his life um, to be with that by her side when she's in the car. And he hears Gideon say, like, a very brave man or, you know, who I respect and admire very much is risking his life. And then, like, Mor Morgan's like, oh, I heard you say that. and um. 
And Gideon's like, yeah, you know, what you did was stupid, but that doesn't mean that I, you know, that it was wrong. And I, I liked that moment a lot. Yeah. I mean, we could give it a 15. Yeah. Yeah. I'd say a 15. Uh, forensics and context. I like that we got into the details of like a specific type of bomber. 12, 13. Yeah. I mean, it was kind of all over the place, but I liked that we did get that. Oh, like, yeah, 12 feels right. Yeah. Script writing. <laughs> Whoa, boy. Um, I mean, it just was really wild all over the place i mean i think the biggest downfall of all of the scripts for this show is that it's again like a 45 minute show and it needs to be like an entire series per each episode yeah 10 yeah i think so well i think with background characters we should definitely give a lot of points especially because of cassandra mcbomb squad she was awesome um i did like ursula kent I liked the doctor who, Dr. Brazee or whatever her name was. Yeah. 15? Yeah, I felt like there were a lot of good characters. 62. Um, so follow us on all the socials at Unsubs Podcast. Please give us a five-star review. Um, you can do it anonymously. Or if you want to leave us a funny comment, that would be awesome. But we're not relevant until we have, until we have more regions. Um, and uh, you can follow me, your new apartment, on Tumblr. Yeah, and you can find me and my solo podcast at uh, Between Stage and Screen on Instagram. And give the podcast a listen on any streaming service. Yeah, I was on the Rosencrantz and Gilders during our dead episode. And, and the also Hamlet. on the Hamlet episode. <laughs> he asked me, what was it? He asked me to his last pause. Yes. What was it? it was so funny. Yeah. He, yeah, he, yeah, I think it was he beat of his last haw. <laughs> Anyways, thanks so much for listening, you guys. It's so much fun to do this for you. Peace. Peace. Bye.